Welcome to the New Masculine Podcast. This is a place where masculine identifying people come together in community to disrupt outdated models of masculinity and together construct new models for our way forward as men. As a special note, while this conversation is between men, this podcast values all beings and seeks to create positive impacts for all. I'm your host, Travis Stock. I am a master life coach, an equus coach, which means I often partner with horses when supporting clients, and I'm a teacher. In my coaching work, I am passionate about the balance of masculine and feminine energies in each of us, regardless of gender. I seek to help others nurture a relationship with both types of energy, which often leads to a greater sense of wholeness. And yet what I found in my work with men is that many of us have been taught messages about what it means to be a man by first teaching us to avoid anything that is associated with the feminine. That avoidance leads to few experiences of intimacy, emotions outside of anger, vulnerability, or even a sense of belonging. Striving to comply with these models of masculinity has many of us feeling isolated, ashamed, unworthy, afraid, angry, and depressed. That's why I started this podcast, to bring men together who are ready for something new, something more whole. I'm especially curious about my next guest journey with masculinity. Cameron Miller identifies as two-spirit, a term that originates from North American indigenous cultures to describe someone who's gender variant or accessing both masculine and feminine traits. In this broader conversation of creating new models for our way forward as men, I believe it is very important to include those voices of those who do not identify easily within our traditional gender ideals. Cameron finds that masculinity is a concept that touches every portion of their life their gender identity, sexuality, relationships, spirituality, cultural upbringing, and even work. Since their life requests that they are constantly redefining their relationship to masculinity across the board, I'm eager to learn how Cameron adds to our exploration of the new masculine. Thank you for joining me, Cameron. Thank you for having me. Yeah. Tell us a little bit more about yourself. Uh, I was... uh... Born in Oregon and uh, grew up in Arizona, spending a, a lot of time out in nature. I was a, a bit of a nature child and uh, then uh, ended up joining the U.S. Navy for five years. And uh, after that, got into the uh, technical field of the burgeoning Internet. And uh, now I am a conscious digital consultant uh, do marketing and uh, build websites and help people uh, better understand their customer journey and how to get a better result from uh, their entire online uh, experience. I love that. And I love that we were, before our conversation of starting to record this episode, we were, you and I were just realizing that we both grew up in Tucson, Arizona. We have this connection that we didn't even know was there the whole time. So as I was saying in my introduction, um, you identify as two-spirit. Can you give us a little bit of information about what that means to you? Yeah, it's something that I really kind of gradually came into an understanding of myself. Um, When I was very young, uh, my parents said that mm, about around age three or four that I just kind of stopped smiling. And nobody really knew why. And... uh, I just, uh, and this is mostly in retrospect because I certainly didn't know at the time, I just didn't fit into either of the boxes that were presented as models of being, of ways of being. 
And so that kind of made me retreat, uh, you know, kind of put the walls up and just kind of like, okay, this part of me is not seemingly getting the feedback that I was expecting. So I'll just hide that part. <laughs> you know, that'll stay back here in the background. And, uh, so a lot of my experience of that just became more like unconscious. Um, but as I grew older, entered in my teens, started having a real serious bit of angst around my sexuality. And uh, after uh, joining the military, uh, I was uh, fortunately a victim of sexual assault when I was stationed overseas uh, by a fellow service member. And um, that drove me a lot further into a uh, period of homophobia that uh, you know had been inculcated during my upbringing. And it took me a while to come back around to that and to explore what that meant for me and to come to terms with it. And in those explorations and researching, and thank goodness for some of the newer generation and new terminology that they're bringing to the conversation and to our experience, I'd always resonated with Native American teachings, you know, from my growing up and being so close to the land and into the, in the wild, so to speak, uh, in Arizona. And so when I came across the term two-spirit and read into what, what it meant and that they were the healers and uh, you know, medicine men or women, uh, you know, kind of the wise clerical sort of, uh, as a cleric, not clerical as a paperwork, <laughs> um, kind of a position in their tribe. Um, and it was a, a way of being that was revered rather than one that was denigrated or seen as marginal or, or undesirable. So I, it, it articulated the way that I felt within in a way that I had not been able to uh, come up with myself necessarily. Closest thing that uh, term that has come about um, just in the recent past to describe it has been gender fluid. Um, there's a, which is very similar to, but nuanced with non-binary. And we're all sort of just learning what all this nuance is now because it's finally, you know, become relatively safe enough or more safe and more accepting of a society for people that are you know, on the margins of the binary system to actually, uh, you know, self-express and um, be who they are. And, in a safe way. I think it's so interesting that um, it's my understanding in the, in the small research that I've done around the two spirits sort of terminology and identification is, is that as you were saying for many indigenous cultures in North America, it was revered. Those cultures that were connected to the land that were more um, working in living and working in community um, and it was sort of the adaptation or the coming through of Christian values that put in a, a shift in that. And then, and my understanding is, is that in some, in many of the current native tribes that their relationship to the two spirits thing has sort of shifted and changed as a result of Christianity coming through and the influence of that. Is that your experience? Yeah, there's definitely been a, um, I don't know, the one word that comes to mind or the organization or the whatever you want to call it was the Inquisition that, you know, the Spanish Inquisition of Catholicism did an unbelievable amount of damage um, in their 
unhinged zealotry. Um, yeah, there's been a definite like patriarchal overriding of certain aspects of certain tribes' traditions. Those most removed from colonization are the ones that retain the uh, not matriarchal but more egalitarian, you know, understanding and knowing of that concept. Yeah, I would imagine it's sort of hard to maintain the purity of one's culture when you've got um, other cultures coming in and dominating. And it started with the Spanish and Catholicism, but then sort of the puritanical values of other European nations moving to the United States and and making the original colonies. And it was just a continuation of the same program. It was just different different colored skin and different language that was the ones administering, you know, the genocide slash re-education program. Mm-hmm. I didn't even really quite realize how heinous it really was. You know, the, the, the reputation, well, reputation, the reality of the mass, massive pedophilia going on within the Catholic Church as an institution currently and historically is an intrinsic part of that i don't at least i view it as this power over type of dominator culture and the indian boarding schools where every time a tribe was forced onto a reservation as we progressed west we meaning my and or i assume your ancestors they were shifted onto that reservation and then basically all their children were stolen from them and shipped off east somewhere into a boarding school where their culture and their language was stripped out of them or beaten out of them. And they suffered just as much, if not more, uh, you know, molestation, abuse, and murder than you know, the modern-day Catholicism has, or Catholic Church has done with you know, the choir boys and that sort of thing. There's a whole lot that gets to come up for healing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And, and it's how interesting. the masculine has treated the feminine, how the masculine has treated itself in different, you know, iterations or flavors. Yeah, it's really interesting to see how much of that is coming to the surface in our current political yeah. landscape, our social landscape, in the in yeah. the era of Me Too and consent and, and rape yeah. culture and toxic masculinity and patriarchal mm-hmm. information. It's it's a lot of that coming to the surface. And, yeah. and in many ways, we're getting to see these sort of hyperbolic or exaggerated versions of yeah. that, of what you're pointing out. Yeah, coming up some, to be seen. Yeah, coming up to be seen. And it's scary and it's uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. And it, But it is an important part of the process of our evolution, I think, as a culture. Yeah. Looking at the shadow in order to be able to release it. And exactly. Deal with it. Yeah, there's... Um, Something I've seen that's going around, I've really held on to this thought um, in my heart, is that things are not getting worse. They're merely becoming unveiled for the first time, maybe, in history. And that unveiling is what is going to lead to a place of possibility for healing. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's sort of how I've had to continue to hold it in my own psyche, because it is challenging to watch. Yeah. But I'm sort of holding it in the concept of like, this is the tension we need to go through as a, as on our route towards transformation. Mm-hmm. It's that transformational tension that makes us unable to go back to the old way and forces yeah. us into the new. I can no longer uh, 
accept the things. So what's the what's the turn of the turnaround of praise on accepting the things you can't change? Like I'm no, I'm going to change the things I'm no longer willing to accept. <laughs> yeah, something like that. Yeah. yeah. So the thing that I hear that you were pointing out that I think is this is like you're talking on a very systemic level at of the Catholic Church or systemic and patriarchal mm-hmm. societies around the taking of power from others um, and that power differential. I think that's something that's playing out just in masculinity in general. Like if we break it yes, down into some definitely. of the smaller micro settings, we're all doing that to each other. We're doing that to mm-hmm. this planet. We're doing that to the, the feminine in our lives. What other parts of masculinity right now to you feel like they're maybe not working or do you no longer resonate with? the facade which is all it's ever really been for any man I think of uh, not being vulnerable uh, always having it together that looking good conversation of never showing never showing weakness because someone will stab you there you know what I mean there's this like more old school way of you know being the strong man because unless you're putting on the strong persona you're seen as weak and if you're seen as weak you are weak and therefore you know less than and, well it plays um, directly into what you were just what we were just talking about around the power thing like if you show mm-hmm. weakness then power can be taken from you right exactly. and, there's a, and there's a scarcity of power and so i need to hoard my power right and that's that's the the scarcity conversation that is the power over dynamic. It, it's predicated upon a zero sum game. There's only so much power in the world. I have to gather it all to myself and I have to take it from someone else in order to have it. And that's, that has played out in the gender dynamic between the male and the female, the masculine and the feminine for five, 7,000 years. You know, you know, it's like you take it from that more larger macro and right down to the micro, it goes down to like how, I experienced first like leaving the house, you know, and, and getting into kindergarten and then eventually grade school and the socialization that occurs between boys and girls in school. That's the first place, you know, where we're really segmented and segregated and, and categorized and labeled and this is what girls do and this is what boys do and boys don't do what girls do because for some reason, that's not good. And it's very, it's sometimes it's very subtle, but it's very clear, <laughs> very clear. Oh, for sure. <laughs> for crossing lines. No, no. <laughs> um, and that, um, that I think has been very damaging for our entire species. You know, there's this level of degradation of the feminine or looking down upon the feminine that, uh, I guess what I always, the, the place or the atmosphere that always comes to mind the most strongly is the locker room. You know, the, the kind of conversation and the tone of the conversation that exists in that environment about, around women, girls, the feminine, being feminine, um, you know, the way that women are. And it's very holier than thou. It's judgmental. Um, it's, uh, you know, got that power over kind of a feel to it. That's from the, you know, the man is the, 
you know, the head of the family and the household and, you know, the wife has to listen to what he says, you know, this very old school kind of 50s way of looking at, um, looking at uh, the relationship between the feminine and the masculine. But I've, I experienced that as, and of course, I didn't have the terminology for it when I was young, but as I've gotten older, I experienced that tone uh, as being not just judgmental, but uh, like one of the narcissistic aspects of you know, the patriarchal masculinity. Being two-spirit and uh, a mix of both, uh, I did not resonate with the denigration of ways of being and feeling that I shared with girls and women. Um, and I didn't understand why other boys or other or men didn't feel that way. It was confusing. Um, and felt unfair on a basic level. Um, and it, it felt alienating uh, as far as the role model of what it is to be masculine. Yeah, I think we have gotten a unique ability in this time frame after our recent election in the last couple of years to look at mm. that locker room talk in a, in a much yeah. bigger way and how yeah. often it is about either diminishing or objectifying the feminine. Mm -hmm. It's one, it's usually one of the two. It's rarely about celebrating. It's ra rarely yeah. about honoring. It's rarely yeah. about, and, and I think, as I was saying in the beginning of this podcast, I think that's because we as men are actively taught to reject the feminine within ourselves. Yeah, um, definitely. Through growing up, as you were saying, we are socialized out of it. Yeah. It starts really little and we are, in many ways, we as men are, initially shamed out of all of that and told to yeah. be afraid of that i know that's been yeah. true in my life i shamed out me, of access to our emotions <laughs> yeah yeah as a very sensitive emotional boy and now a man um in many ways i became very afraid of my emotions and very mm -hmm. afraid that that was the part that exposed me to the world and that i yeah. couldn't hide in that and so for many years, I tried to adopt the more traditional masculine ways of being of non-emotionality, non-vulnerability, and just found myself completely depressed and in melancholy my entire 20s. And so, well, that didn't work. Same um, yeah. And so I think that's the um, experience of a lot of people, but we don't have a lot of language about how men navigate depression, how they navigate their yeah. own emotions, because yeah. we're not really allowed to. And but not to have any. Anger yeah. is the only legitimate one. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah, it starts really early. And then we, as men, do a lot of, sometimes it's not always insidious, sometimes it's playful, but it's also really within a sort of uh, a flawed system that we kind of bat each other down and shame each other to stay in line with this sort of mm. narrow traditional masculine values. Yeah, definitely. And our, and sometimes like our parents and the adults in our lives as kids were doing their best with the information they knew and they tried yeah. to kind of corral some of that for us so that we could fit in and belong and receive love. But that's also within a system that is broken. So it's like we never could fit in, belong and and really feel love in a broken system. And so we're sort of being corralled into that broken system. And it's, oh, yeah. how do we get ourselves out of it? it sounds to me like- By changing it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> and I think that changing it starts internally first. You can't yeah. change on the, anything on the outside until you yeah. have a look at it in yourself. 
Yeah. As somebody, you were saying that this has sort of been a recent adaptation and active identification in your life, the two spirit thing. What's that journey been like for you of challenging those patriarchal things in you or allowing yourself the freedom to have both sides, masculine and feminine? Uh, it's been a, um, <laughs> a pretty emotional journey of deprogramming the you know, societal homophobia that was taught to me you know, as a kid and you know and caused me to compartmentalize parts of myself that that didn't fit within you know the uh the acceptable paradigm <laughs> you know i entered i entered you know the most masculine uh thing that one can do at age 18 after graduating high school and join the military and that is a very common thread among people who are gender variant let's call it that there is a high, high, high percentage of us who do join the military, you know, in in many cases to try and, I don't know, would we use the, the masculine word for it, man up. So it's know? like an overcompensation. Like, right, exactly. To try to mm. somehow like reach this ideal that's been presented to us by, you know, entering into the world of the warrior mythos, you know, and, and, and going that route. And I, you know, I did embody that. You know, I, I, I am a, a very interesting dichotomous mixture of traits and strengths. And, you know, I'm an ex-military uh, policeman and firearms instructor. And I'm also a vulnerable, safe space for, you know, connected sharing about deep trauma. Uh, I'm a nature child who can survive out in the wild on my own in pretty much any type of situation. And I'm also extremely gentle with children. Um, you know, I've got the, the strong guardian sentinel kind of archetype. And I also have the nurturer and have, you know, mothering instincts and caregiver instincts. So, a lot of those, uh, the more what may be traditionally seen as feminine or masculine, I don't necessarily identify them as such because I have seen, you know, female warriors and I have seen, you know, male Mr. Moms. You know, it's like we're, we narrowed down so much the, the, realm of experience and expression allowed for either gender in these rigid definitions of what's acceptable for boys or girls to do and what emotions are acceptable for them to access. Yeah, I'm so glad you're bringing this up because it's something that I find myself um, working through in my own head about when I'm having this conversation. There's this thing around talking about masculinity, which is sort of the collection of gender appropriate things for men that we've mm. sort of been taught over and over again. Yeah. And then we're also talking about masculine and feminine more in the energetic, separate mm. from gender that has nothing to do with male or female. It is right. energetics. It's the yin, mm. the yang, the light, the dark, mm -hmm. the, the, the ends of the spectrum 
that sort of help us understand opposing forces and energies and mm-hmm. and ways that things create balance with each other. Right. And so I find it very interesting that the best language I have right now fits within that sort of traditional binary. Mm-hmm. And yet I'm also a part of the community that is tearing down the the, the gender norms. Do you have any sense of like, for you, what better wording it is to sort of differentiate between this energetic quality of masculine and feminine versus male, female, or gender, gendered kind of language? Yeah, what's come to me and um, has been, you know, I haven't, I have a very, uh, my family was like non-religious Presbyterian Irish and German and scott and there's so there's i have no religious underpinning to my upbringing and uh, i've just kind of very recently in the last say 10 years um become uh, more spiritually connected and into those kinds of areas of thought and uh, reading books and that sort of thing and so what i discovered that best describes this to me and this balance and especially of the yin and yang is the divine masculine and the divine feminine and we all have both within us and they're a they're i don't know it's like each personality is its own Rorschach, you know to kind of make that reference again from when we were talking before but that um you know we're each a conglomeration of all these different traits that maybe in some traditional ways are described as masculine or feminine just because but they don't really they're not restricted to either of those plumbing and or you know uh capabilities the uh the work that i've done in my uh personal spiritual work has been the greatest growth has been centered around being able to experience and see where within myself there has been a compartmentalization of those different sides or those different ways of being and that my work has been and has been ongoing over the last several years of bringing those two disparate sides into uh, closer and into cohesion with each other. And that place is the place of balance where I think that a whole nother level of creativity and uh, expression is uh, is possible. That's so well said. You were earlier describing about how you contain multitudes and how you can be sort of the protector archetype, but then also the nurturer archetype. You can Mm -hmm. value both the things that are sort of more traditionally masculine and sort of more traditionally feminine and that you can have both of them exist. I think that sometimes in the conversation around toxic masculinity or tearing down the patriarchy, Mm -hmm. we can, many of the sort of imbalanced divine masculine things that are really appropriate almost get lost as if like there's no parts of the masculine that are really healthy and valuable. And what I hear finding is is that there's value in both sides of it and, Mm -hmm. and how they come together. Yeah, balanced and in respect with each other. Yeah. I think that's largely what there's a lot of like, I've, I've gotten that reaction. I, I uh, sort of informally, I'm not any sort of therapist or, you know, shaman or yet. Um, 
but I do work with some of my brothers who are, you know, other warriors that have, you know, been, you know, also have PTSD and are, are damaged, let's call it in one way or another by what, uh, you know, they've had done to them or have been made to do. And many of them are more on the traditional end of masculinity, especially my one friend who's very hyper-masculine, um, combat vet. Uh, but, yeah, I find a lot is getting lost in the defensive reaction and inability to listen because of that emotional reaction of men who believe themselves to be the traditional definition of masculinity and that any discussion of what toxic masculinity is and what the nuances of it are is just a full frontal assault on masculinity and they're trying to get rid of masculinity as they know it. You know, it's as though they want me to disappear, you know, is kind of the reaction. And it's been like what I found my place has been is in delving into the nuance of that conversation with them in as Socratic a way as possible, mm. you know, asking questions and, and trying to bring other perspectives perspectives into their view which really the the unfortunately this is one of those things that I, I feel like the the my way or the highway of traditional masculinity creates a rigidity and an inflexibility in thinking and being open to other perspectives being bringing value and input into decision making or you know, judgments being made about something. Well, I think that I, I totally see that as happening with people that sort of adopt that hyper-masculine or really identify or find that that really show, like, like that resonates with who they are. Mm-hmm. But I also see it happening in my conversations with other men around the world that like not everybody's vocally out there talking about it, but in this culture of talking about toxic masculinity and, and tearing down the patriarchy, I do find that me, other men are also scared and the women in their lives are pointing out like, mm, yeah, like this is a weird time for men. This isn't a scary time for men. And that we do have a lot of conversations about what's not working, mm-hmm. but where are the conversations about what yeah. is working? What are the, where are the conversations where we're bolstering up and, nurturing the things we do want to celebrate in men and that we do want to bring forward. Yeah. That is definitely what I found I've been bringing to the conversations with, with the men that I've been talking to and working with informally. Um, Yeah. I think it, the, really the crux of that, I think is that the entire Western civilization really is, you know, predicated on this power dynamic and it has been for thousands of years where men are on top and women are, if not property, then, you know, at least not at the same, not at the same level of equality, really. And not even, and it's to not this even day. just women. It's, we do that to each other as men. I have oh, more yeah. power. I'm up here. You're down here. You're working. Right. I but make more I'm, money. What I'm saying is that the, the response of the, the more traditionally masculine to their fear of what, the either the celebration of the feminine or the pointing out of some of the less desirable traits of what we call toxic masculinity is a 
trend that is going to result in that power dynamic of men on top and women on the bottom being flipped. And there's an unconscious, like, you know, desire to not be the one on the bottom, you know, not to be the one who's under someone else's power. You know, they don't, it's, there's an inability to see that it's not about flipping the power dynamic of one over another, but balancing that power dynamic, yes. co-creating together from place of equality and everyone's opinion matters. No one's opinion is a less than or more than because they're more emotional or less emotional or more logical or less logical. Yeah. That's, that feels very in alignment with my view of it too. And that, that it's not about rewriting and flipping the whole thing on its, on, on itself, but it is about, it is about rewriting it in a way that brings them together. And it's that what we were talking about in the earlier about that sort of scarcity mindset that yes. really plays into this because, yes. if, because if, if someone else gains more power, the fear is that I will lose power. Yep. And yet I don't necessarily know that that's the truth. Just because yeah. your fear voice is telling you that does not mean yeah. it's true. It's, it's not. Um, if the same power dynamics don't continue to just be acted out, you know, regardless of the players, you know, as long as the, the construct of power over is all that we're operating within, then yeah, there's the natural fear of it because it's not going to change because it's not going to change. <laughs> totally. I'd love to bring it a little bit down back into the personal for you and mm -hmm. hear a little bit more about You've, you're sort of describing the process of coming into balance with the masculine and feminine, letting them yeah. co-create together. And you said that you've been on a personal journey of recognizing where the two sides have been a little more compartmentalized. Mm -hmm. How have you become aware of the parts of you that are more compartmentalized? And what's the, what have you done actively to help bring them back more into integration? I've done, uh, like I'd say, I would say the starting point was really becoming energetically aware, so to speak. Um, my first uh, exposure to something spiritual that, you know, my family were like, if you can't hold it in your hand, it's not real. Um, kind of, yeah. you know, blue collar, pragmatic uh, point of view. And, uh, but that was, uh, that was Qigong. One of my brothers that I talked to and work with is uh, also my Qigong master who taught me. And, um, that started to, I thought all that stuff was frou frou in my earlier life, but uh, it uh, has been a, a real boon to me um, and it's been the starting point for my growth. And then interending into entering into some transformational work uh, programs, uh, something called gratitude training uh, down here in South Florida um, that helped me uh, get in touch with my ways of being and uh, some of my limiting beliefs and conversations that were running me, um, especially around victimhood and uh, my PTSD trauma story. And that was that, that kind of like got sort of a, I don't know, a baseline of a handle on my stuff. <laughs> you know, started to get a, a, view, uh, a view within myself um, and the level of comfort with uh, who I was and what 
uh, value I brought to the table um, in my uniqueness. That led me to experience uh, an old Peruvian lineage, uh, ancient Peruvian lineage, indigenous ceremonial healing work. And that space has been the one where I have uh, made the greatest probably leaps in connection with um, both my divine and feminine uh, aspects and gotten some clarity on the parts of me that were socialized as less desirable from the traditional male side were actually uh, superpowers. You know, my capacity for being a safe space, uh, a vulnerability for not just the feminine, but also the masculine. You know, I've been the doorway for healing for men who have experienced sexual assault like I have. Uh, men who have experienced, um, you know, the molestation when they were younger. Uh, women who have been through the same sort of childhood sexual trauma. And I just discovered in that work that I was a, um, just a natural. And so that's an area that I am, am pursuing training in currently. And that, um, that space and the space that's created by the people that I work with there um, is such a place of safety and radical acceptance um, that there has been the the room to dance with the uh, the line, so to speak, between those different aspects and what they mean. You know, and a, that can be a, you know, an appreciate for, appreciation for beauty and the beauty of oneself can be the, um, the softness of deep emotional connection with someone in a healing kind of context where you're, you know, helping them work through something that's, that's been really hard to talk about. Accessing those parts of myself has opened up the healer in me. Parts that were closed off because of the ways that I was taught that it wasn't okay for boys to feel or be or express, you know, that it was, um, unpopular. <laughs> <laughs> I love that yours and my journey feel so similar that once we started looking inward and started our own healing journey, it has led us to moving outward and towards mm -hmm. sharing and teaching and yeah. being in um, actively participating in the healing of others. And that that has been a part of our own healing as well. It's mm -hmm. like a nice cycle that keeps reinforming itself yes. instead of sort of more of the trauma patterns that were created by what we were taught or the traumatic right. experiences that we weren't. Because those have a cycle to them too, but we've mm -hmm. sort of now been able to create a new cycle in ourselves that reinforms the healing. Yeah. And breaking those family cycles that, you know, they say that, you know, what is it? Oh, does this sort of thing just runs in my family or whatever? Well, it's the person who decides to stop and say, you know, no, I'm going to feel these things and stop this in my family line here. Yeah, that, I love that you said that because that's, I always say that I tend to surround myself with people who are the pivot points in their family lineage. Mm -hmm the place yeah. where the recognition yeah. that that no longer works and finding a yep. new way. And I find that 
many of us that are that do sort of resonate with the pivot point thing that there is a the challenging experiences to life in the process of doing so because you can't just yeah. go the way that was given to you yeah you have to create something new and there's not Half really a model. yeah there's no model for it so yeah. you have to really create that yeah it's a uh, good uh, i don't know wilderness analogy is trailblazing mm-hmm. you're going where there is no trail yeah some of the things the keywords that i pulled out as you were talking about sort of the process for you was Ask, getting help, having someone help you turn inward, help you understand energy and develop a relationship to it, mm-hmm. guidance around that. I think that men are not really getting a ton of that. We're supposed to know it all, so mm-hmm. we don't get guidance and we don't get help and we're not supposed to ask for help because it's weakness. And yet yeah. the receiving of help in the initial phase is what, is what put you on a path towards your own healing. Mm-hmm. Um, safe space seems to be a really important thing that whether you create it internally for yourself or if the community around you is creating safe space for you um, Mm -hmm. to do that work to do the unraveling of the old old patterns so that you can step forward in a new way yeah so that's definitely accurate yeah yeah and then community having people that nurture and support the process for you and celebrate you for exactly who you are and not trying to uh, define you or you know coach you into a different way of being based on their own you know, desires or their own programming now uh, it's let's like say talk about that radical acceptance i think if we all are exp- able to experience the level of like radical acceptance of our choices and self-expression that we would be a much more vibrant society. Yeah, agreed. And yet, I think for many men, that sense of community and belonging is missing. Yeah, it's lacking. The only place that that it's really like, I don't know, uh, celebrated or condoned, let's say, is sports. Yeah. In competition and sports and that's kind of it. <laughs> yeah, I always say that the, the only forms of intimacy that are allowed between men are competitions and sports and drinking yeah. <laughs> alcohol. Yeah. yeah. It's the only ways that we do that. And I think I love that I love being queer in the sense that I'm I get access to more intimacy with other men. Yeah. Um, not just in my sex life, but in my just in my engagement with other men, because we've sort of had to jump through the over that hurdle anyways. Do you agree that it's um, that that is something that's missing for a lot of men is that uh, sense of community, that sense of belonging, often even physical touch outside yeah. of maybe oh, in, yeah. in heterosexual relationships, the, the one female partner is allowed to physically touch. Yeah. But outside of that, men are quite isolated from that. Yeah, very much so. And it's it's something that like I felt like a I don't know, a heart sickness around it. You know, when like it's one of the things that makes me envy women and the feminine because they do have that casual, let's call it, you know, access to um, therapeutic and connective physical touch. And men aren't allowed to have that because it's queer, you know. Um, at least in the for, for that kind of mindset of man. Um, yeah, I think it's been uh, that's that's one of the parts of of uh, of the traditional model. I think that's been at least 
in modern times um, that's been so damaging to boys as they're growing up because it is so very isolating. If the only way you're allowed to really like interact with other males is this sort of like cutting up, you know, humorous, insulting as bonding sort of thing that I just never really <laughs> understood at all. <laughs> did Amazing not resonate. Culture. Did not resonate with that whatsoever. Right. Uh, it's like you like me why are you being such an a-hole um it was kind of my internal conversation around that yeah we have to <laughs> haze each other to show we right. like each other yeah like this doesn't make sense this is not this is not empowering you i didn't know that term at the time and i wanted to touch on just one thing before we got too far away from it was that you made a mention of this um pivot point like in the family of like changing you know ways of being or, or other things that aren't working. Um, I got to have an extremely unique experience of this. Um, as I was working through in the last three years, um, as I was working through, well, mind you, after probably about five years of mixed therapy and PTSD group therapy through the VA, um, and then getting into like the transformational work and then the deeper personal work in accessing the more vulnerable parts of myself and not feeling so uh, scared and hiding those parts of myself. And then getting back into close proximity with my family as my mother was sick. And especially during the process of like after she passed and the repercussions that that brought for my father and my sister and the grieving that my work that I'd done around my assault and the PTSD uh, that resulted from that and being able to no longer be in a place of shame around that and to be able to share from a vulnerable space with my family, with my father specifically, it opened up a space uh, for my father. Mother passed away, the cork, that she had been on the bottle of his PTSD was gone. He was having nightmares every night coming up out of bed and, you know, beating the, you know, what out of the dresser, out of the furniture. And it led to this space of an opening for him to be vulnerable with me and to share with me something that he'd a similar experience that he'd had growing up uh, or not growing up, but when he was in the military overseas, and it allowed me, you know, in uh, connecting with the superpower that is the space of vulnerability, allowed me to model and create that safe space for my own father, generations, you know, a generation later, a different war, to be able to seek the same kind of healing that his son had uh, been able to reach for myself. And now, you know, he's walking his own path into therapeutic healing via the VA and other programs. And if there was one thing that had like given me confirmation that like, the path that I was on, the work that I was doing and where it was taking me was exactly where I needed to be. That was it. 
I'm so glad you shared that story. I've got chills on my body um, as you're listening to it. And it's so in alignment with my value system and what I believe and is a consistent theme that keeps coming up in my interviews for this podcast is, is that there's this fear that the vulnerability will be subtractive to your life, that you'll feel yeah. less than, that you'll fall apart. And actually, it yeah. oftentimes is so much more additive and it's changes, yeah. it changes everyone. It's and I, I love that your story illustrates what's been missing from the way more indigenous cultures held initiation phases yeah. yes. or events in our lives that ask us to, to, to grow up or to move through puberty into manhood or something like that. There's this, you, there are parts of it. It's also the Joseph Campbell hero's journey. It's like, right, so are, passage. yeah, it's that moment where you do have to go out into the world and, and navigate something on your own to individuate from your family or your community to find what's true for you. But yeah. what's missing is that coming back, that return to the community, the return oh, to the family yeah. to share what you've learned. Yeah. To, to bring who you now are back yeah. after that, that initiation that is for the collective too. We just think it's the, yeah. at least in this culture, go very individualistic and leave and go right. isolate. Yeah. And I think some people's family traumas and the way the interactions and the relationships do require that. But I don't think that it's the, the mass everybody needs to go and isolate, individuate and never return. Mm -hmm. But it is that return and the sharing who you are now and what you learned that gave your father space to do his own work too. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. Uh, again, being a, being a place of vulnerability, leads to a place of connection that the men are socialized away from. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that a big piece that I want to sort of highlight that you're talking about, that you talked about that other people have given you and you've had to give to yourself is that radical acceptance mm -hmm. piece or that really actually giving yourself permission to love the parts of you that feel weak, that feel vulnerable, that feel... Yeah. Like they don't match up with the traditional things that were taught to you. It's almost a, for, a forgiveness of self for not being what someone else wanted you to be. You know, I actually, I kind of, when I really started to, uh, I don't know, come out to myself in uh, 97, uh, I spent, uh, went out to California, spent some time in San Francisco, and then on my way back, kind of, not very quickly coming back, spent a little time in Tucson and um, just kind of made my way across the country. But I spent, I'd say it was really when I really started to get in touch with uh, my, I don't know, visceral inclination towards more native spirituality. Parked my car on the side of the road in Monument Valley and just walked, just walked out into the, into the mesas and just was just kind of, I guess, going on my own little vision quest, you know. Um, without having the terminology to call it such, I uh, you know just went out and spent some time with myself and with the the universe, with nature, and did some some self acceptance work around the fact that I was not going to be straight and was okay with that, and um, you know kind of uh, just some self realization, some kind of standing in my own 
knowingness about myself and dropping away some of the judgments that had been applied to me <laughs> um, just based on society's opinions at the time. And uh, I'm very grateful to uh, watch and experience the last what, 20 years where things have evolved quite a bit, <laughs> quite a bit. And would you say that it's just been an additive experience, even if it's been hard at times that things have opened up? Yeah, I mean, I want, I, I, I will say there's definitely some envy or jealousy that maybe comes up to, you know, maybe I didn't have to be one of the pioneering generations, you know, it'd be kind of cool to be maybe <laughs> about 15 years old right now instead of in my 40s. But, totally, uh, totally. You know, at the level of, of freedom of expression that exists, like, I don't know. The kids in high school these days are pretty much they can wear whatever the hell they want, you know. <laughs> totally. And there's just so less judgment around that, and at least in more metropolitan areas, anyway. Yeah. Well, I, I appreciate you sharing that story. Um, in owning yourself, in finding that acceptance of self, and finding in love of yourself, and really actually doing the work. I know you had sort of mentioned that there was. Uh, in some internalized homophobia that was a part mm -hmm. of your life based on actual yeah. traumatic experiences that re-ingrained things you had been taught. Yeah. And I, and I so appreciate you sharing that you did the work to, to find who you really are, even through the fear stories, even through the stories of control or power or hate or judgment. Yeah. Dropping really, self-hatred. Yeah, that you really did the work to find that. And I love the invitation that gives to any of the men that are listening to this podcast or people in general, but that there's an invitation to do the same in yourself and that that it has added to your life. It has made your life better to find that place of self-acceptance, even though doing so goes against the rules that the culture taught you to do, which yeah. is to love that part of you that feels weak, to love the part of you that feels rejected and exploring those parts uh has turned out to be the most powerful work and the most powerful value in self-actualizing what i'm supposed to be here for and what i'm going to create yeah so thank you for the invitation for other men and giving them permission to do the same and I'd love to hear, is there any piece of advice that you would like to leave men with as we close this conversation? It's not necessarily an easy thing in our culture, but uh, to seek out opportunities for sacred space where there is uh, an intentional mixture and balancing of the divine feminine and the divine masculine. Um, and that tends to be in indigenous or one might call it new age <laughs> uh, sort of circles um, but those spaces for reconnecting with indigenous wisdom around the balance of the divine feminine and the masculine uh, brings opportunity for uh, insight and self-reflection in non-judgmental atmosphere and safe space that is a it's a place of play that maybe we haven't experienced since we were children. Yeah, it's amazing how few opportunities for real play we get once we're yeah. no longer children. And, I and when think you can play with your with your 
with yourself and the way that you look at yourself and the judgments that you've made about yourself or the society's made about yourself that can just put a little space in there to be able to look at them. And you can, you can make your own decisions about whether or not those things are valid or if they resonate with you, if they land with you, or if they're not yours to carry. Yeah, I love what you're saying. And, and I think even to simplify it even more, it's that piece of like, if, if it is hard to do that in our culture, it is not, it is not celebrated. Yeah, and, yet, <laughs> and yet, go find people that do. Just find yeah. community of people who yeah. are who want to do that. There are plenty yeah. of people out there. Yeah. There is a way uh, to find tribe. Absolutely. Even in a very individualistic culture, there is yeah. a way. That's one of the beauties of some, of being in the social media generation. We're more connected than we, to other kinds of people than we ever could have been. There yeah. are for sure shadow elements to that social media and to the, yeah. the ways in which we're connected and or seem to be connected but are actually quite yeah. isolated but there are healthy ways to gain value from those tools too absolutely people find community all the time in that way well thank you for sharing your story and thank you for adding your voice to this conversation around the new masculine um, i think that you, you you add such a unique texture in that we're able to have the conversation that utilizes the language of the binary while being somebody that is just deconstructing the binary just in your presence. Mm -hmm. And I kind of love that using the system to break itself kind of thing. Yeah. yeah. That yeah. makes sense. Yeah. So if people, I know you were sharing that you are doing work with other veterans um, around PTSD, sexual assault um, survivors. Um, if people wanted to connect with you and find out more about what you're doing, how might they do that? Um, yeah, I don't have any sort of, uh, official practice. Uh, like I said, I'm still in training and it's more like, uh, working, you know, with, uh, friends and, you know, people, really they're people that have chosen me. <laughs> um, but, uh, yeah, I'm, uh, I'm on Instagram as Cameron's.travels. Um, and you can find me, uh, Cameron Miller on Facebook as well. Um, I don't have a business profile on there yet, but uh, it's, it's in the works. Um, but, uh, yeah, if anybody wants to, uh, you know, just talk and connect and just have a conversation about a continuing conversation about what we've spoken about here on the podcast, and I'm more than open to connecting on that. Yeah, as we've been talking about, I think that being in community and being with people that are doing the same work or, be, or are creating safe space for others to do that work is super important. So thank you yeah, for sharing. Yeah, and if anyone is uh, interested in, you know, connecting into kind of the transformational and, I don't know, growth oriented community here in the South Florida area, um, you're more than welcome to, to contact me there. So. Great. Thank you for sharing that information. If people want to get in contact with me, they can go to my website at travisstock.com. You can also find me at Facebook at Travis Stock and at my Instagram handle at Travers03. I'd love to hear from you. I'd love to ha hear what questions you have and how you want to participate in this conversation around the new masculine. This is, the intention is to collect together so that we can redefine this together. So please be willing to participate and, and help me in this journey. Uh, thank you, Cameron, for joining us. And until the next episode. Thank you for having me.